Welcome to The Power of a Graceful Leader with Alexis Thompson. Join us as we explore ways to access your deep inner wisdom, learn what it looks and feels like so that you can find your own path to integration, flow, and alignment, awakening the graceful leader within you. And now, here's your host, Alexis Thompson. Hello, and welcome back to The Power of a Graceful Leadership Podcast. Thanks for being here with me. I am humbled and excited to introduce you to friend, mentor, and so many other things, as you'll hear in his bio. Oftentimes when I'm reading these bios of these amazing humans that I'm connecting with here, I feel a little intimidated. And I suppose this one is um, no different. Um, What I'll say though, as I'm about to unload Dan's biography to you is that he would say, none of it matters. Like at the end of the day, all this stuff, it's part of the journey for sure, but um, I belong to his refiners group that he and uh, Jim spearheaded, I guess, 11 years ago, reading his bio, and we laugh about the value of the degree and all the things. Um, so here we go. You ready? Dan Holden has worked in executive and team development for over 30 years. He serves on the executive education faculty of the University of Notre Dame, where he has awarded the school's Inspiring Educator of the Year Award. Dan's worked with the Creative Center for Leadership and with LCY Cross Associates on issues of diversity and culture change. He's a senior consultant with the Leadership Circle Organization and is one of the original users of the technology. He is the author of Lost Between Lives, Finding Your Light When the World Goes Dark. I highly recommend finding that book. He's authored several articles, including Diversity Unraveled, and the Forgotten Self, Executive Development in the 21st Century, which appeared in the Industrial Management, his most recent articles can be all downloaded from his website. Uh, this is the leadership, sorry, this is the leadership world. Do not be afraid, a ritual for leaders. And MLK remembered, a call for consciously maladapted leaders. I love all those titles, Dan. Dan's work has been integral in projects for Dana Harbor, Cancer Institute, VF Corp. Um, there's so much here. So let me pick out some of the ones you'll know. Lockheed Martin, Shell Oil, Ford Motor, Boeing Aerospace. Um, Stride Community Health, Northeast Utilities, BioWorks, um, Price Waterhouse Cooper, and on and on and on. Here's a cool one the in- US Department of Interior Fish and Wildlife Service. I didn't know that, Dan. That's very cool. Dan's work opens leaders to the work of personal mastery and guides them to their essential impact as leaders. He works at the intersection where the executive development and organizational transformation and the spiritual journey all meet. Dan leads workshops and team retreats and has an executive coaching practice with leaders from many different sectors. His affiliations with the Leadership Circle and the Full Circle Group include helping train consultants and coaches in TLC instruments around the world, which I use and love. He co-founded the Refiners Playground, I'm a part of, a personal and spiritual development community now in its 11th year. Dan Dan's work helps leaders find and skillfully skillfully find and navigate those essential conversations beyond problem solving, posturing and blaming such that their agenda moves forward in expansive, inclusive ways. The result, greater performance, spirituality, a life focused with less effort and stress. Wow, this is cool, but it even gets more exciting. He earned his BA in psychology and graduated at the top of course from the state of University of New York and he has his MSED from Niagara University. He's an outdoor enthusiast, avid motorcyclist, 
sports car driver, and an ex-military paratrooper. Dan brings the heart of the mystical poet, and oh, he does, and teacher to his deep work with leaders and their teams. You can tell I'm a little excited to just get to him. Recently certified in equine-assisted coaching, he speaks, writes, and coaches from the solid foundation of someone who's walked through the fire. And with no further ado, here's Dan Holden. I am so excited to be here today with Dan Holden, a uh, teacher, mentor, and definitely friend. And it's such an honor to be here with you. Thanks for showing up in the podcast for uh, Power of a Graceful Leader as being one yourself. Um, and I kind of just want to jump right in and embarrass you or, or I don't even know how this will make you feel, but I want to read the gratitude I wrote about you and who you are in my life in the book to kind of set the tone um, and the love vibration as we move into the conversation. So Dan is someone I connected with immediately. Our first call was a deep dive right into intimacy. I was introduced to Dan as someone who was exploring some of the same questions I was. He shared with me a book he wrote about these questions called, sorry, Lost Between Lives. And we'll share more information about how to find that book if you want, I highly recommend it. Uh, he shared with me a book he wrote about these questions and invited me into a whole group of humans exploring the same thing. His nature of slow and steady conversation, which you'll get have the pleasure of experiencing here. Pardon me. Um, I'm getting a little, yeah, this happens for me sometimes when I read these. This is awkward on a podcast, but we're going to go with that, with the intimacy part. Awkward is good. Yeah. So his nature of slow and steady conversations with just the right amount of inquiry was refreshing and it had a cadence and flow that felt grace-filled. Since this initial exchange, Dan has extended himself to me professionally and personally, and always with a tentative and graceful entry. We share a love for deep thinking and the belief that one can move into the body and soul for exploration and expression. The safety he creates is something I've been grateful for more times than I can count. And with that, here's Dan Holden. Thanks. Yeah, Dan. Very sweet. Thanks. I, uh... I'm a little daunted by having to live up to that. Yeah. I I, <laughs> yeah. So I tried not to put you on this pedestal where the only position you could go from there was yeah, falling I can off. Really go down from here. Yeah. So I created steps for you so you can come up and down at will. Yeah. So thank you so much um, for being here with me and being willing to get into an inquiry that you know I've been on for many years at this point. And the book was just the first culmination of, of the inquiry. So it's an honor to be here with you. So let's start with the big question. When you think about grace um, and all it is and isn't, tell us a little bit about how you experience it existing and moving in your life. Uh, that, that question falls into the general category of a biggie. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, uh, grace is sort of what holds the whole universe together. Um, but more practically, it is what uh, surrounds and complements our own bias for direct action. For most of us, when we think about our own development, human development and growth, we tend to default to things that we can do ourselves to make something happen. Books we read, workshops we attend and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and grace um, complements all of that. If, if we are taking direct action to move towards something, I always say that we have to also allow life, our spirit, our soul to move toward us. So there's a two-way uh, in-breath, out-breath aspect to life for me. 
and grace is the grace is what is moving toward us and surrounding us all the time. We get glimpses of it when our direct action doesn't work, <laughs> or when we get, in my case, when we get exhausted from trying to do so much and we finally collapse and then grace is like, oh, you finally here. Now we can talk. Yeah, yeah. The invitation can be gentle or not so gentle. It just depends yeah, on- Depends on how, how resistant you've been. Yeah, yeah. For me, all of my transformative moments, you can tell what they are if you look back on my life because there are foot, there are heel prints in the asphalt from where I was resisting. And that's sort of the, those were all turning points for me. And if I hadn't been resisting so much, I might've been able to greet life with more open arms. Yeah, yeah, okay. So resistance being the precursor for that. So as I was doing this work, um, six tenants kind of came in as anchors or places for contemplation and exploration and playfulness around what it is or what it could be for any individual to be graceful, specifically in the context of leading their own life or in the work that you and I do in the world leading others. And so the first tenant that came in and one we've all heard a lot about is integrating mind, body, and soul. Can you share a little bit about what comes to you or what that might mean for you? For me, it means uh, deep alignment and congruence. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing hidden, nothing not considered. Um, I thought I knew a lot about this. Uh, and then I started working with horses and realized I didn't know anything oh. because they're the most congruent animals on the planet. Um, so for me, it, it means deep alignment, um, being whole, complete, and bringing all of us to bear uh, into any action we're taking. You know, someone about uh, three or four years ago gave me feedback after a workshop, and um, this was in the group, and they said, Dan, you, you're a great facilitator, uh, but my sense is that you, you would have been an equally great assassin. And I thought to myself, in that moment, I thought, I have never felt so seen in my whole life because, uh -huh. and those two extremes actually exist in me, the compassionate, loving, generative place in me, and, and also the place that really doesn't give a damn and doesn't want to negotiate. Uh -huh. um, and so I, for me, congruence and alignment means I, my role is to occupy as much of that landscape uh -huh. between those two uh, um, endpoints as I can. For, and as I get older, I occupy more of that land, yeah. including, including the places that are just not fun to talk about. Yeah. So you, you kind of brought in the, you know, experience or aging process, right? As we get older, do you have any thing you would share about why, like, why do we have to wait to get older for this experience or do we? I don't know. I, I, I meet some young people who are just amazing yes. souls. And once I get by my own tendency to be angry at that and, and feel cheated by their wisdom, mm -hmm. it's just, they're, they're amazing young people who I celebrate. I think the, uh, the link to aging, at least in my own experience, is we, I just get tired of resisting. Mm -hmm. and, and I have more and more experience that when I stop resisting, and start allowing mm -hmm. incredibly beautiful things happen that I know secretly 
um, I could not have uh, made happen by myself. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I agree with you. I've had some of those same experiences with young people. And then when we're coaching leaders and they're in multi-generational workforces and they get run up against that particular awakening or reckoning, maybe depending upon their resistance level. Right. Yeah, it's it's very sobering. And, and equally like the assassin and the lover in you could be either really sobering or really offer an awakening. And I think yeah. our relationship to that is dependent on how we receive it. Yeah, there's an old, uh, I'm told, there's an old African saying that says, if nothing inside of you frightens you, then nothing outside of you will ever terrify you. So if I'm home, if, I, if I'm at home with all of who I am, mm -hmm. including places that uh, refuse to be domesticated, uh -huh. then there's not much that can happen um, outside of me in workshops in life that will will significantly upset me. Yeah. But that's I a big tip. That's you know? huge because just think, and we won't go there, and I will just overarchingly say that I think, at least in my adult life, I'm experiencing a world of fear at levels that I've never, I don't mm -hmm. understand, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not because I know something or yeah. I don't think I'm special compared to someone who's more in a different place. But I also do think it speaks right to what you just said is that there's very little because I'm doing all my internal work. It's not that there's none, but there aren't as, there's not yeah. a lot of places where I live in fear. Yeah. Yeah, I love that saying. Yeah, with all of the fear and anger and hatred and rage we see each day mm -hmm. directly or in the media, it's hard, it's hard not to internalize some of that mm -hmm. slammed a thousand times a day it's hard not to at least uh, um, have to stop and consider but yeah. most of the fear again is body based it's i'm afraid of what will happen to me or to those i love and yeah so it ends up being something we have to we got to negotiate we've got to somehow make room for that yeah yeah another, another great saying by some american writer that I don't, I don't know his name off the off hand, he says, um, welcome to earth. Beautiful and terrible things will happen here. Mm. Do not be afraid. And yeah, he's got the right planet. Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Tenet two. Thank you. Tenet two is the alignment between soul and self. And for the context of this, um, it, it literally is the essence of who I am and the ego that I present, which, you, you know, we've had lots of conversations about this. Mm -hmm. And so um, are you clear about your purpose or purposelessness in this time around the sun? Um, yes, yes and yes. Okay. I'm clear about my purpose and it uh, becomes less and less uh, vital to me at, at this point in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I come out of the uh, Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, I, I still identify, but I think I'd be hard to recognize by others in that uh, tradition. But there was a moment when I was younger where I was uh, attending some uh, street side uh, 
chapel service. I think I was in graduate school or something. And the, the, um, the pastor, the minister was leading that service. He, he um, read something from uh, the New Testament. It's a very famous, well-known scripture. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set those who are imprisoned free or oppressed free, and to proclaim the acceptance of God. This time, I'd heard that before, but this time when he said that, I knew he was, those words were in me. Those were to define my work for many, many years and my way of living. Um, proclaiming good news to the poor, recovery of sight to those who are blind, setting free those who are held captive. I mean, that's my coaching practice. Mm -hmm. It's really all about liberation and freedom and returning to our own essential nature. Yeah. And it, 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 um, it doesn't seem as important to me now, maybe because I just have embodied it and has, I don't need to think about it anymore. I, I, uh, um, and, and also the, your, disti your distinction about soul and, and body, I love. And for me, I, in my twisted orientation, um, I experienced my soul as having predated me. Mm -hmm. It was it was here before I was. Absolutely. So there's that conversation about me in this um, apparent body, personality, and mind. Um, at times, needing to talk with, connect with, or be guided by a part of me that is not linked directly to my body. It actually predates me, has no beginning or end, and so that that just sort of throws the question of purpose. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't negate it, but it just casts a, a very different light on it. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's interesting that you share it like this because your, your dear friend and my now friend, Jim Anderson, kind of had a little bit of the same statement of that. And from experiential or age, I'm a little bit behind both of you, finding myself coming right in on that wave in the beginning of that exploration of I spent a decade literally working and mining and cranking and through what's my purpose and mission in the world and putting the perfect words to it and all the things. And more now than ever, as we're becoming into Ubuntu here in Vermont, it's just all fading away. It's just, a. at first it scared me, you know, yeah. and then I just settled yeah. into it. Yes. Yeah. I thought this defined me and now it's absent or, or withdrawing. <laughs> Like, yeah. oh, what, what, who am I now? What, what am I here for? What's my value? And it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's, really it's crazy. To your point and to mine, it, it, purpose isn't something you simply make up. It's something that is revealed yeah. to you, offered to you, either all at once or over time. And mm -hmm. a lot through that, all of the resistance. <laughs> right, it's actually, you know? Becomes uh, shrouded in the grace that we began talking about. Yeah. On top of this um, podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So the the um, next tenet that's up for exploration is transparency, and um, this is with self and others. And this is one I think of you often 
here in this one, because when we first connected, um, you went right to it. Like there wasn't a lot of, not that we weren't pleasant, but there wasn't small talk or pleasantries. You went yeah. right to intimacy, which is a core wounding for me that I've been mining and, mm. and working and resisting for many years. Um, and so I think about you here because, uh, well, the, the way you describe your coaching practice and your beingness is this. And it's, it's almost like, you know, we all, most of us have heard the saying, you know, maybe not understand it, but the emperor has no clothes kind of thing. And mm -hmm. you kind of just stand there full kimono going, Hey, here I am. Mm -hmm. And gently and firmly. So I kind of like the assassin energy and the lover energy, holding mm -hmm. that space and requiring someone to enter equally with you for exploration. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of all the tenants, I, this one, I think you've got it nailed. And I think you're calling others into it is a beautiful invitation. So yeah. what do you have to say? <laughs> all, all I have to say in the moment here is that it wasn't always that way. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, in my first marriage, it, it became plainly obvious to me that I had no idea how to show up as a full person, mm -hmm. as a partner. There were so, there were, entire Texas-sized regions in me that I had no awareness of and, and uh, would, would um, um, guard and, and um, try to keep people away from seeing. Simple things like I, when my first wife would be upset, my tendency was to offer advice. I mean, classic uh, male stance. And her response was, I don't want your advice. I want you to weep with me. And I remember looking in to myself and realizing that I had no idea how to do that. Yeah. And it was that was that moment um, was for me the beginning of my conscious journey. I think we're all on a journey at some point, mm -hmm. we're awake to it or not. That's when I began to wake up and realize, oh man, there's a whole whole parts of me that or locked up tight. Yeah, like I'm feeling that right now, big time. Mm -hmm. As someone who probably, no, no, probably also <laughs> has those experiences. Oh. They're sharp at times. They're, um, it's really for me in the beginning of my own consciousness journey. And still sometimes when I would come into awareness of something like so void of, like there's a big void, there's a not yes. knowingness there. Yes. Um, I would quickly go into judgment and a lack of lovingness towards myself. Yes. Did right. you experience that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did you, or do you have any words of wisdom or anything you'd like to say about someone who's there, right? What we're talking about, they're going, okay, I see the gap. I have no idea what to do with it, but I don't know how to be loving of myself through it. Yeah. The simple answer that will be completely unsatisfying is, <laughs> Um, the quicker we can allow these things to manifest in us, the quicker we can step back and stop fighting, resisting, and defending, mm -hmm. and instead open ourselves uh, to what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. uh, the sooner we come to a place of reconciling these discordant places in us, it's, it's not a satisfying response. But stop fighting, start allowing is sort of the, the um, stance. Yeah, no. And, and it's, it really a mind, it's really a mindset, I think. It, it begins ah. with a choice 
begins with a choice to uh, to open. Okay, so I love that opening because so I wholeheartedly believe that it starts. It can. It doesn't have to. In my case, and it sounds like in your case, it started up here, right? Mm -hmm. The journeys and in inquiry in the brain and in the mind and in the ego a little bit. So do you have an example or any words to say about how you experienced it starting to move both down in your body into your other energy sources? Um, and also, yeah, let me leave it there. I don't need to compound the question. I do have, I do have an example. It's from some years ago, but it's, it's sort of an amusing way of how life works once we decide Yes, I'm going to allow this. I see a need for it in my life. I want that. Um, so when I was younger, um, I was very quiet, very shy, and timid. Um, um, I'm still an introvert, but back then, I was just really uh, kind of locked up. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, one summer I was playing softball in some softball league, and I sprained an ankle and could no longer uh, play. But they needed uh, umpires for these games, so I volunteered to be uh, like a first base umpire, no mm -hmm. running, saying. And so I did that for a couple of games, and and then um, um, one game the. Um, person who was supposed to be the home plate umpire did not show. So they asked me to do that. Now, this quiet, timid person is behind home plate having to decide what's a ball and what's a strike. So every pitch required a decision on my part to be announced. So it was, it was pretty scary. I mean, it sounds simple when I say it, but looking back, it was quite upsetting but there, there was still some part of me that was amazed at what was actually happening. Mm. Because I knew just weeks earlier, I'd said, I want to become more authentic and more <laughs> candid and more open. Yeah. And so here we are. And then as it turned out, um, I was asked to be the home plate umpire in the league championship game. Yeah. And as it turned out, that game uh, went into extra innings. <laughs> we were just playing on a an open field there were no lights uh -huh. so it began to get dark and after every inning if a, a team scored a run they would want me to call the game yeah and i said i just said no and i finally had both of these coaches in my face demanding that i end the game and i i just looked at them both and said the game isn't over until i say it is get back and play wow it, that's what i did to myself i said oh wow what just happened who is this person <laughs> Um, so that's, that's, that example has been repeated hundreds of times in my life of saying yes to something, realizing shortly after that, that you had no idea what you were actually saying yes to, mm -hmm. and it ended up being much more, much more expansive, much more, um, powerful than anything I could have imagined, but it set the stage for who I would become in the years following. Yeah. That's a beautiful, and in, for a lot of people, um, it might feel like a trite example, but how powerful in the moment for you to both ex say yes, go through the journey, exercise your voice, and then most importantly, be aware that you did it all. <laughs> yes, right. And it, 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 is a, it is a simple answer, but we're talking about 
a core stance of authenticity and openness in life. That's yeah. it began on that software, that softball yeah. field. Yeah. And so the universe is endlessly resourceful in how how it teaches and the, and what it can bring to bear to yes. get a message across. Yes. And and yeah. every time, um, you know, in speaking about grace, it's it's always for me and what I'm noticing in these interviews, it doesn't have to be a big shift. It's just a one step to the right or the left to get out of the mm-hmm. way. And everything will just, you know, come in. So that's awesome. Thank you. That's not a bad life stance either. Getting out of the way. I love it. (laughs) It's working well. What's your purpose in life? Just to stay out of the way of what wants to happen. Yeah, let life have its way with me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, the next tenet that we explore is connecting self and universe. So that could be through religious faction or not through religious faction. It, It doesn't have to be, but could be. And one of the things that I get a lot of questions about, no matter whether it is in that context or outside that context, is this word collective, sometimes community. Um, do you have a orientation or a relationship with that language at all? Can you share yeah, it with us? I, I have a sense of what people mean by it, by okay. say the collective. Um, let me see here. How would I want to say this? So let's see, the collective, the community of beings, the, the collective called men, the collective called women. So there's, there's some larger group that we are all part of, groups, plural. But for me, the collective also speaks to the the one spirit that 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 connects all of us. Um, so, my my stumbling here is that yeah. the word collective um, has lost some of its meaning to me over the last few years. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there is for me personally. There's yeah. no collective. There's simply one. Yes. There's one one spirit. One. Um, one source of which all of us are aspects. Um, um, and I'm struggling in part because our language is set up to, in a dualistic way. We always have to have subjects and objects and verbs in our sentences. And when you're speaking about the collective or the one uh, God or source or uh, the language kind of breaks down. It, it does absolutely break it down. It doesn't work. It doesn't. Um, so I actually am very excited at this part in our conversation, but mostly because I'm I'm unable to describe. Um, yeah. Um, what what I what I understand and have experienced to be true. I love that and everything about that. It is hard. I find this more and more. I'm I'm constantly in conversation going, there's no word. There's, there's no, I can show you, I can, I can vibrate in a way you might get it, but I, I can't tell you. I don't, you know, it's weird. It's a, it is, but I love that you use the word excited because I feel the same way. I'm like, this is new turf. Like it's a whole new terrain to be in a place where words don't work anymore. And I find it exciting as well. I, I joked recently with um, 
our refiner's community that you, you've come to. And I said, I, I would love to have a whole session where all of us are out of words. Mm -hmm. We can no longer describe what actually is happening. Um, it would be an awkward meeting, I suppose, but only because we think this, we're supposed to have language. And, um, you know, um, this, I, I come, come, come close to this collective. I uh, find ways to draw on near it by making sure I'm, I spend time in silence, in stillness. Uh, nature mm -hmm. is a big teacher, and uh, to what to the extent that I can surround myself with beauty each day, then I'm I'm more apt to feel this uh, feel this connection to or my own involvement in this. Yeah, here I am again with language. Mm -hmm. I can feel the the part of me that is an aspect of all of this. A teacher would say to me. A teacher I work with say, would say to me. The silence that you enjoy, the stillness, the vastness of ancient, uh, of nature that you are so drawn to, that stillness, that silence, that vastness is you. Yes. That's who you actually are. Yes. We just are temporarily confused thinking we're bodies and personalities and arms and legs. Yeah. But there's a reason why you're drawn to that, because that is you. Fair enough. I, yeah, there's a lot of parallels here because, you know, I don't want to be in my desk chair anymore. I'm trying to figure out how to make a living. And I don't know how I will do this sitting on a rock in the woods, not talking to anybody. I'm trying to figure that out. Yes, right. You know, <laughs> so who knows? It could show up, right? It could show up. Okay. So let's talk a bit. You, you know me a fair amount now that gratitude is a platform. And so mm -hmm. that is a way that I've embodied being in the world, not with perfection, but with huge participation. Does gratitude play an active or a passive or any type of role in your life and how would it look? I, I can easily point to vast periods of time in my life where gratitude wasn't present and life just seemed harder mm -hmm. and more frustrating and my impatience was triggered. Uh, now uh, gratitude for little things each day um, is a big deal. It's a big part of how I show up. I'm not trying to make anything happen anymore um, or force things to happen. I'm grateful for the life I have, for the breath I have, for my dog sitting next to me, not barking, which is even amazing to me. Mm -hmm. So it has a it has a uh, an active place in me. And it's um, it's the one thing that accelerates everything else that is good in my life. When it's missing, things are hard. Even easy things become harder. When it's present, even hard things become easy. That, easy. I don't think I've had it explained that way, or I didn't have a listening for the ease of it that it creates. Um, we talk about it from flow perspective, but... I really just like the ease of it. And it is the truth for me as well. So yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Okay, the next tenant we're going to explore is co-creating. So this is around innovation and just really about being a creative being. And yeah. I would argue as I'm exploring this more and more, it's really simply the only reason we're here. You know, mm -hmm. I say that to people who are like, what? And I'm like, that's, that's just what I'm coming into the knowing and understanding of. 
you yep. may have a different under knowing. I don't. I agree with you completely. Yeah. This is an easy question. Okay, great. So tell me a little bit about it. Um, what role does diversity, um, in any way you would define diversity, we can do it in the traditional or any other way? Yeah. Um, over, the, over the years, I've had um, just the great pleasure of working with a very diverse cast of characters in my life. Black, Asian, Puerto Rican, Muslim, men, women, gay, straight. And my experience has been the more different we are, the better our work is together, provided we are open to and can navigate the difference and the, and the tension that it sometimes mm -hmm. brings. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, my wife, Lisa, knows this. The people I've worked with are just amazing, amazing people. And um, the more different they are from me, the more interested I am in uh, seeing what kind of dance we can create together. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, um, I remember when I first started my coaching practice that I, I was drawing to me and people like me, looked like me, the whole nine yards, right? And then something shifted in, my, in the who I was drawing in. And there was this creative tension yeah. That at first I, I judged as me doing something wrong, that person not being what they needed to be, but there was this definite tension in the relationship. And now when I see, see that tension, I'm like, yes, you're my person. Like, cause there is to go back to the word that you and Jim use for the group that we, when we get together, there's a refining in that. Yeah. Um, and I've come to really appreciate what I call sandpaper moments. Mm -hmm. um, and and the subtle refining that's happening in those with those relationships. And if there's if your if your stance is that I am no longer willing to defend parts of myself, then the sandpaper refining can be mm. a real discovery and even joy. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the tendency to defend and to resist that gets us into trouble. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, great. And so. I, this question here is one that I found to get interesting responses, but how do you discern when to lead and when to follow? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. I looked at that uh, just prior to coming on the podcast with you, and I wasn't really sure how, how to respond to that. You know, in some, in some respects, at least in work, some of the following and leading um, is born out of discussions and boundary settings that we set with our partners. Mm -hmm. I'll do this part, you do that part, I'll lead here, I'll follow there. So some of that is, is, is stuff we simply work out. Um, but ultimately, I'm the older I get, the more I'm always following some intuitive sense, some instinct uh, that arises in me. And I'm getting better at actually hearing that and um, trying to listen to it, uh, I mean, to a point where I'll, this is prior to COVID, but I'll be teaching in a group and I'll just stop mid-sentence and I'll say, oh, wait, that's, um, that's not, I didn't say that right. I'm, I'm being shown that I should have said this. And so this is what I want to say. And mm -hmm. so there's, um, 
this, um, you know, I had this moment. This is just a few years ago. Um, I was, um, had, had worked in this large Catholic health system mm -hmm. for several years. They had a, um, a leadership cohort experience that was open to leaders at a certain point in their own growth. And um, it was a 12 month cohort experience. They'd come together several times over the course of a year and study things together and so forth. And I was the kickoff person mm -hmm. for that. And uh, Mel Doughty is someone. Oh, and, yes. He yes. was the one who brought me in. And it was just really beautiful work. Uh, and I loved, uh, I loved my involvement. And they had other coaches and cadre that they would bring in to help support the leaders. And so I, I always felt that I could really go deep and just let it all loose because there was someone else always to clean up whatever I couldn't close down. <laughs> yeah. But at one point, um, seven years into this, I, was I'd begun my teaching and I had this very clear uh, biblical image in my mind of uh, this um, pillar of fire and uh, that I was standing in, a pillar that connected me to heaven. And uh, much like it did with Moses in the Old Testament, that pillar moved as I was teaching and I was exposed. Oh. And, and I realized in that moment that my time there was ending and that I had to, I had to, I had to stop and step away. So after that, when that workshop was over, even before I left to, to go back to the airport, I said, here's what happened. Uh, it's time for me to move. I'm no longer your guy here. Oh. I mean, you know, Mel, so Mel said, yes, you're right. You've got to go. Yeah. Yeah. In that respect, um, I'm leading a workshop, and it's work I truly enjoyed. Even to this day, I look back and say it's one of my great, the, one of the great projects I was a part of. But I also knew that ultimately I was I was there because I was guided to be there. Mm -hmm. And when that guidance shifted, I needed to shift as well. Yeah, that and that's not easy to do. It's it's that's the that's a really beautiful example of being connected, but not attached. Yes, yeah. yes. Another yeah. another big lesson. That's a whole other podcast. It is a whole other podcast. <laughs> okay, let's move down to compassionately powerful. So this is one that when I'm in conversation, I get lots of questions about um, from um, usually emerging female leaders. And just because of the nature of often the environment, environments that they're growing and emerging within. So um, I get questions like, how can I be compassionate and caring and still have healthy boundaries and be requiring and firm because I found I can either be a doormat or a bitch. There's really nothing in between. Yeah. So this speaks to duality, right? It brings us right back to that, that current construct that we are hopefully dissolving and breaking down. But what ideas does being both compassionate and powerful in the same moments in life bring up for you? You know, um, years ago, my, my daughter now is 37 years old, just a beautiful woman. Um, and when she was younger, a teenager, Kate was, uh, had trouble with alcohol. Mm -hmm. She was in and out of treatment programs and the whole nine yards. And um, for some period of time, I just wanted to 
kick her and push her through a wall. I was just so angry with what I was seeing and so unable to do anything to stop it. Um, and I remember saying to myself that I would love to have access to all that power in me, uh -huh. currently configured as rage and vengeance and a desire to kill. I said, I, I'd love to have access to that kind of power, but without the edge of all the emotion. And uh -huh. it must have been another one of those softball moments because what actually happened over the course of several years is that all of that somehow got refined in me. Mm. And to a point where I was able to speak with conviction, but without a lot of emotion. And for several years, I, I held an image in my mind of her as this beautiful young woman. I could see that woman in her. Mm -hmm. I just decided not to speak to the addict part of her anymore. Mm -hmm. I'd only speak to her essential beauty. Mm. I, I remember quite clearly making that decision. And I held that vision of her for 10 or 12 years until she was sober. And I finally saw the woman I'd actually seen in my heart years yeah. earlier. So there's some, there's some piece here about um, um, accessing the, the powerful parts of us, rage, fear, anger, resentment, uh, and finding ways either through meditation, prayer, uh, um, therapy, finding ways to keep, keep hold of that kind of power, but find ways to refine mm -hmm. how, how it's expressed. Mm -hmm. um, while all this was happening, one year I was voted the teacher of the year at Notre Dame. And but I'd never set foot in the classroom. I, this was in their business school. So I was working with all of the groups, teams that came through the school to for their own development. And I secretly have known over the years that the only reason I got that award was because I was one of the few people who could step into a group of just sort of mean-spirited, angry, frustrated leaders and not blink. I knew what to do. And I knew what to do because I'd been through those moments with yes. my, my daughter. Um, and and that the anger, the fear, the frustration, the desire to lash out, to control, I'd somehow come to an end of all that. It, it was painful, to be honest with you. Sure. But all of that, that power and had been refined and it ended up being a, a great, she ended up being just uh, uh, an extraordinary teacher for me. In fact, sitting here, this morning with you, I still look at my daughter as the greatest teacher I've met so far. Mm, another extremely, thing we share in common. Extremely difficult classrooms, however. Yeah, oh, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. I have that conversation with my adult children um, more regularly. We laugh now, um, but there was not laughter. There was deep sadness, depression, and anger. Oh, yeah. On the journey, for sure, for all of us at different levels. So more, more pragmatically, I guess, getting back to your question, compassionate power, for me, it's speaking the truth, um, but speaking the truth, not just our intellectual truth, but speaking what our body and minds and our hearts, what they collectively know and bringing that into the conversation mm -hmm. and learning how to say, you know, I see this differently than you do. 
uh -huh. another point of view, or uh -huh. I'm unwilling to um, be quiet about this issue. It matters that much to me. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have to raise my voice, no. but it's clear when I speak from those places, I'm not really there to negotiate anymore. I'm there to show up and be fully who I am and come what may. Yeah. yeah. And I know as a white guy, uh, I have more privilege and more, um, there's more allowance for me to take that kind of stance than there would be for someone like you or others. Um, so I don't deny that, but but it still ultimately has to do with being able to access these deeper regions in us mm -hmm. and speak from those places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this, this goes back to very early on in our conversation about fear being such a huge underpinning. Yes. Because when I know when I'm in those, this space that we're speaking about, that I've had to transmute fear a dozen times in a oh, nanosecond. Yeah. Yeah. to be willing and able to completely show up because there are consequences and some of them are seen and understood and yeah. often many unintended or unknown. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. Thank you for all, um, being willing to be, um, to make that step into that space. Cause there's, we need more and more of that done gracefully. Right. And with love and compassion leading and requiring. So awesome. Thank you. So these, the last three questions are really specific for you and you can go wherever you want or share something that I didn't ask um, at any point here. So do you have anything that you wanna share? I mean, I kind of wanna ask you about what you, you and Lisa are doing with the horses because I but, think that that's a big deal. Yeah, I do wanna talk about them. Go um, ahead. Um, for reasons I still don't understand, um, I signed up to go through a year and a half long certification program, learning how to use horses in our coaching work with people. Mm -hmm. Lisa signed up with it initially. In our family, she's always been the horse person mm -hmm. and I've been the horsepower person, uh, motorcycles and sports cars and all that. And, but for some reason I signed up for this with her. I signed up, it's that year, year and a half long program was broken into four different component pieces. And, and we had to travel to ranches and work with horses in these places. And I'd never had any experience with horses. Oh. As in ever. Um, and so I don't know why I did this, I, but I, I said yes. Didn't know what I was saying yes to. And um, in the first uh, three days, we had this uh, experience where we were to choose a horse that we wanted to work with. This is a non-riding experience, all groundwork. And this was in Southern California and they brought four horses into these indoor stalls so we could spend time looking at each one, uh, getting a sense of whether there was a connection with them and then choosing which horse we wanted to work with. And uh, one of the horses they brought in, was the largest horse among them, uh, among the four, his name was Corey, and he was the largest and the one that was uh, um, most upset about being indoors. These mm. were horses that lived outdoors, so to bring them in, um, this horse was wild, kicking the stall, rearing up, uh, whinnying. And when I saw him, 
I was scared. I was terrified. I said, holy damn, that's first, it's the biggest horse I've ever seen. And mm -hmm. uh, what is going on here? And so we were asked to spend time with each outside the, the paddock. And, and um, I just noted how scared I was and how just how he wouldn't stop pacing back and forth, back and forth. We did other body work on ourselves, more self-reflective work to get us out of our heads, into our bodies. And mm -hmm. we were asked to meet the same horse again. And this time when I met him, he was still wild, but I knew I was to work with him. That was gonna be my horse. Mm -hmm. And when I and when I said that then, even now, I was at peace with that. Yeah. Um, and as it turned out, each of us, we're given a, a time to have a one-on-one a -on -one session in an enclosed round pen with the horse of our choosing. Mm -hmm. So it came time for me to enter a round pen with this horse. Um, and we did a lot of work to drop into our hearts before that, to set our intentions. And my, my intention was very simple. I simply wanted to see if I could connect with this animal that just a day earlier had terrified me, yeah. but I wasn't terrified anymore. Uh, and he was outside, so he wasn't as wild as, as he was before. Mm -hmm. And so I got into the round pen, again, first time ever in my life, uh, alone with a horse in an enclosed space. And um, he immediately approached me and I, I knew how to set a boundary for myself. So I just asked him to stop. And then I walked up to him and began to uh, uh, pet him and just talk with him a bit how, about how beautiful he was to me. And it was the closest I'd ever been to a horse physically. I mean, right up next to him, talking to him. And to my great surprise, I began walking away and he followed me. We were joined up. And then I stopped and talked to him a bit further. And I turned to walk away that time and he put his head on my shoulder. So now I'm inches away from him and I just began to weep. It was one of the most beautiful tender moments of my entire life up to that point. And he moved his head over mine and put his head on my other shoulder. And we stayed like that for seven or eight minutes, a long time. Wow. Seven or eight minutes. And um, and I was, I was unable to speak. I was just um, overcome with love, joy, uh, a profound connection that I had never experienced before. And um, I, uh, I walked a bit further, he joined me and walked alongside of me for about 40 minutes. And we would stop periodically. And um, so a graceful, uh, graceful moment, that certainly qualifies. I, mm -hmm. um, but I, I, in that moment, I began to trust that if I could stay in my body and get out of my own fearful head, then I could actually connect with horses in ways that I never experienced before. And, um, and that certainly has continued with other horses uh, since then. But the, the key for me has always been, and this is true even now, later today, we'll go down to the horse farm. Mm -hmm. And we'll have time with the horse. And during that trip, I will decide to drop out of my head into my body and I'll become much more mindful of what's going on there. Mm 
and my only role is to be willing to hear, feel what's there, and to let the horse know that I know what's there. Because our horses don't really care what we're feeling. They just want to know that we know what we're feeling and not we're not trying to fake it until we make it or pretend that we're okay when we're really whatever it is, upset, frustrated. So that's a, a very clear choice. And the demarcation point for me is when I when I drive onto the property, I better get out of my head and drop into my body and whatever's there has to be okay. Yeah, no, I get it. There's a place in Texas called Cowboy Solution that I used to do work with there, Don Hudson. And they did trust work with teams. They still do. Um, and I would bring some teams down and do some work. And I never did the work. And so I, everyone else would go do the work and I would be over here doing the thing I do. And then one day Don came over and said, it's time for you to come do the work. And I was, I was scared to death. Mm -hmm. The horses, I don't, I don't know. There's huge horses and they're, they're all huge to me. And they're all just scary. And I don't really, really know why they're scary anymore, but they were really scary, much like what you were sharing. So I appreciate, I've never had a horse though place their head on my shoulder and I, I can't even imagine how just magnificent that must feel. It was just overwhelming. And even now yeah. as I'm looking to you two years later, I still get tears in my eyes, even yeah. the memory. Yeah, I got tears, you recalling it for me. So I get it. Yeah, that's beautiful. So in your day-to-day -day work with leaders um, as a coach and in the facilitations that you do, out of the six tenants, was there any one that you're like, yeah, I'm spending time helping people move into or through a particular tenant towards their grace? Um, there are a couple that I made notes here. Uh -huh. I, mean, I think the big one is um, to, um, to, um, not, to, to not get entangled with work and performance as things that define who you are. That's a big one. Uh -huh. And the second one closely related to, to that is that uh, anything that happens in you, fear, doubt, uncertainty, uh, as well as passion, whatever is happening in you is okay. Uh -huh. It doesn't need, it's not something that you need to be ashamed of or uh, guilty of or any of that. Uh -huh. But, but the, the real challenge is to own all of that. None of it defines you, but you've got to own all of it so you can begin to manage those places rather than they managing you. Yeah, yeah. So I would put that both of those kind of in transparency, which I expect you're doing a lot of that work, just being who yeah. you are, and then also connecting to self and others, because that connection to self right. needs to predicate or be there yeah. before the other thing can happen. Yeah, to what to the extent that I'm undefended in myself, I'll be much more open and transparent with others. Exactly. That's the, that's the, the secret sauce if there is well, I think it's your secret sauce for sure, because you definitely awoke that within me. Um, that was definitely, that door was had padlocks on it, several. And then when mm -hmm. our first several exchanges, they started to fall away. So I definitely mm -hmm. think that's a gift you bring into, into all of us for sure. Okay, to round it off, what, do you, what is something you'd like to share about grace, leadership, and life for leaders right now, because we're navigating times that are just, we've never seen before and the, the change, you know, the fear, the rapid changes, the understanding or being able to discern 
what does apply and what is true, what is truth in general. Any advice or words of wisdom for leaders as they're moving through all of this? Um, I wrote down a couple of statements here. I'm not sure mm -hmm. they answered your question. But, That's okay. But um, it is how I see leaders that I work with. I'm in a very busy time right now over the holidays and through the end of January. So I'm working with a lot of new leaders that I've not met before. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I see, maybe this is a gift I bring, I see into them. Yes. Um, and so one message is that um, to leaders, that you are not who you think you are. You may think that you're this, um, uh, powerful or successful, this and that, or you might see yourself as someone who's more fear, fearful, plain, small, and whatever that story is, uh, that's not who you actually are. You're much more magnificent, uh, more vast um, than you can imagine. So there's some, and so uh, um, lay down your judgment arms and uh, learn over time to be more open to who you actually are because it's at from your current vantage point you may not be able to even see mm -hmm. uh, this um, vastness this magnificence that uh, you are yeah um you know i think it's great advice but i'll share with you as that's unfolding and has unfolded and will continue i think for the rest of this version of me that exists when that magnificence has shown up, it's been sometimes hard to bring into my body, like yes. to allow to be with me in here. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you have you had those experiences? Absolutely, because it that magnificence um, shatters the small story we have about ourselves. Yeah, and and our natural tendency is to clench to mm -hmm. resist and so the the advice and the encouragement is to notice the tendency to clench and um breathe more deeply and mm -hmm. allow what wants to happen in you yeah but your experience is, is exactly like mine and so many others yeah you'd think that we'd be fighting the fear and the doubt and all this we may be doing that as well, but it's really our magnificence that most terrifies us. The mm -hmm. Marianne Williamson quote, uh, yeah. sort of classic at this point. Yeah. But your experience yeah. is exactly like mine and, and others. When we catch a glimpse of it, we said, oh, that can't possibly be me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny how that kind of beauty and magnificence, magnificence would be scary to us. I know. Isn't that crazy? It is, it is interesting because when I'll settle into it, I feel like I'm coming home like I've never been home. Yes. 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 And from that place, yeah. everything's possible. Every single thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I am so thankful for you in so many ways. And I know I feel like I don't connect with you as often as I connect with you, you know, in other ways. But so thank you for your space and your time and the work you're doing in the world for your generous heart. Well, I, I'd say the same thing about you, Lexi. I love you. I love your presence, your place in my life. I love the work you're doing with leaders. And this whole piece on gratefulness is um, a game changer. Thank you.
So I'd love to come up to Vermont sometime and see you guys. Oh, that would be awesome to have you and Lisa here. That'd be great. Thank you. You take care. You're well. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Power of a Graceful Leader. Please join your host, Alexis Thompson, for another enlightening edition of the program soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.